0: Welcome to the podcast, The Human Way, with me, Kelly O'Dell. I hope the new year has gotten off to a good start for you, and that 2017 will be a great year for all of us. I took about two weeks off during the holidays, and I really enjoyed my time with my family. For some reason, I'm still a bit of a child when it comes to the holidays. I really enjoy watching my kids open presents, and even if it's getting harder and harder to figure out what to give them as they get older, their toys, like their father's toys, just seem to get more and more expensive. One of my sons surprised me by asking Santa for some retro presents, like a gyroscope that you can start with a string, and then it will spin on the in, on the tip of your finger. Another of his retro gifts was the famous drinking bird. You know, the one that swings back and forth, tipping his nose into a glass of water, and never stops as long as you have water in the glass. I had one of these when I was a kid, and I imagine my father had one too. In fact, A quick look at Wikipedia shows that this bird toy can be traced back to at least 1910. To be honest, this drinking bird wasn't actually on my son's wish list. I think maybe Santa thought he might enjoy it. Or maybe it was Santa himself who wanted one. Ever since my son got this bird, it has been hard at work in our kitchen window. I can't help but be fascinated by this bird. Despite the fact that I understand the physics behind why it works, it still seems a bit magical to me. I mentioned my fascination for this bird to my wife. I said it just works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, non-stop, as long as it gets a little water. And I jokingly suggested that it was a good analogy for the ideal employee. My wife's reply was simply, but what's the point? What is he working for? What is he trying to achieve? What purpose is he fulfilling? In short, does it really matter if he's working or not? I realize that this bird is not an analogy for employees. It is rather an analogy for a great many of the activities that we initiate in our organizations. Everything from IT systems to reorganizations create an enormous amount of activity and keep our people busy for weeks, months, even years. But in the end, many of these activities don't amount to much real value. Like the drinking bird, these activities create an illusion that something is happening. But in reality, they just keep people running around all day, stopping occasionally at the coffee machine for a refill of energy. Unfortunately, this is nowhere more true than the area of digitization or digital transformation. Digitalization has become one of the hottest topics on everyone's lips, but it's also one of the most misunderstood. Enormous sums are invested in digitization, and the results of these investments vary greatly. Several studies indicate that many of these investments at best, create no real value for their organizations, and at worst, they result in significant damage. Many approach digitalization as solely or primarily a technological change, but the secret to success lies in understanding the behavioral changes connected to these technological developments. Gartner, the world's leading information technology research and advisory company, describes digitalization like this. The use of digital technologies to change a business model and provide new revenue and value producing opportunities. It is the process of moving to a digital business. Gartner might argue that this definition embraces even the necessary behavioral changes required to succeed. But it's clear that their focus is on the technology. Successful digitization involves gaining the real practical benefits that the technology makes possible by changing the behavior of stakeholders like customers, employees, suppliers, and more. In most cases, the actual improvements or benefits only arise when the behavior changes, not when the technology is implemented. One case in point is the consumer banking industry in Sweden. The Swedish banks have been very successful with their investments in Internet banking. The results of these initiatives have led to significantly lower costs for the banks and higher service levels for their customers. Most consumers in Sweden almost never have to go to their bank office and most of their day-to-day banking needs can be done through an app in their smartphones. But no matter how complicated and sophisticated the technology needed to drive these services was, the most important question the banks faced was whether or not consumers would accept this new way of working, or if they would even have the necessary skills to manage the significant behavioral changes necessary in order to realize this new way of working. When I was the head of TeleMobile in Sweden, Sweden's largest telecommunications operator, I was responsible for the very first initiatives to introduce email in a cell phone to our customers. I think it must have been sometime in 2001 or 2002, and at that time there was only one cell phone that could handle sending and receiving emails. It was a more or less unknown phone called Qtek from an even less well-known Chinese manufacturer called HTC. From a technical perspective, this plan would require comprehensive cooperation from several companies in order to succeed with what turned out to be one of the very first launches of real mobile email in the world. In addition to Talia as the operator, and HTC is the phone manufacturer, Microsoft was involved since we were using an early version of Exchange Server, and a company called WM Data took care of the system's integration. And despite the high level of technical complexity in this project, we soon realized that our biggest challenge would be to get people to actually start using email in their phones. Most people we met told us that they couldn't see the point with email in their phones. We realized that we would have to facilitate a major behavioral change with our customers if we were going to succeed with this launch. We decided to loan 1,000 telephones to opinion builders like CEOs, journalists, celebrities and important customers. These ambassadors were asked to use the phones free of charge for six months. After the six month trial period was over. They could then purchase the telephones or return them with no questions asked. To make certain that these key customers got started using the phones as quickly as possible, we created a special dedicated customer service. This customer service group worked solely with these 1,000 ambassadors and helped them with setting up the phones and they helped address any other questions that might pop up. Our idea was that if these 1,000 opinion builders discovered how great it was having email in the phone, many others would follow. After the trial period was over, almost no one returned the phone, and the ones who did were the ones who never got started using the phone in the first place. Technology generally advances faster than our ability to adapt to the new technology. Often, technological development is limited by human behavior. Digitalization forces us to rethink almost everything in our business. In fact, there's virtually nothing left in our organizations that isn't impacted in some way by digitalization. Following our few concrete tips to how you could succeed better with your own digital transformation. The first thing is prioritize and focus. Possibly one of the biggest mistakes many organizations make is trying to do too much at once. It is often impossible to understand all the relationships and interdependencies that are affected by digital transformation. So take one step at a time. The second tip is focus on the human side of digitalization before you invest big money in technology. How will your digital initiative affect people customers employees partners etc will this digital initiative require new behaviors from the people who are affected do the affected people have the necessary competencies in order to meet the new behavioral requirements and if not how will you make sure that the people get the training they need what incentive is there for these individuals to develop the necessary competencies, and to adapt to the new way of working. The third tip is involve as many people as possible in the preparation and planning for your digital initiative. It's important to gather perspectives from all affected stakeholders. This will reduce the chances that you miss something important and it will increase the engagement of those involved. The fourth tip, when you think that you've achieve points 1 through 3, begin with a pilot. Digital transformation is extremely complicated, and even with the best preparation, there's a great risk that you'll miss something. Good pilots require time, and they can be costly, but they're worth it in the long run. If you'd like to look closer at this, I'd like to recommend a book called The Digital Transformation Playbook by David L. Rogers. It's published by the Columbia Business School Publishing, and in it, Rogers presents a balanced view of how organizations that have been successful in the analog era can also become successful in the digital era. I'd also like to recommend an article. It's given out by the World Economic Forum, and it's called the World Economic Forum White Paper, Digital Transformation of Industries. And even if this white paper takes a primarily technical perspective, it still gives a good overview of the opportunities and challenges involved in digitization. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you.